0: Welcome into the QB Sco Show. This is episode two, brought to you by the fine folks at SB Nation and Bleeding Green Nation. I am your host, Michael Kist. You can follow my work at Michael Kist, MichaelKistNFLBleedingGreenNation.com, all those spots. As always, joined by QB1 in my heart. He is Mark Schofield. You can check his work out on probably about a 100 different websites. If you follow him on Twitter, at Mark Schofield, you'll see all the great work that he is putting out. Mark Man, we had like two more video games drop this week and it's in the middle of football season and we can't handle them all. And I haven't finished Assassin's Creed Odyssey and I'm in the middle of Red Dead Redemption 2 and Fallout 76 came out and Battlefield's coming out. Like how do we handle all this and do our jobs?
2: We don't. (laughs) I think the simple answer is we don't. We were just talking about it like Fallout 76 dropped. Today we get Battlefield Five dropping tomorrow. I'm running around San Denis with Arthur Morgan and the rest of Dutch Vanderland's crew in Red Dead Two. Like you said, I'm still trying to find time to you know play Assassins Creed Odyssey, which is a fantastic game by yeah. the way. And trying to do our jobs. And what's interesting about our jobs, Michael, is on, on this show we're in particular we, we talk about quarterbacks and what we really have to kind of keep in mind in the back of our minds is that look we're talking about a position that requires leadership you're asking people to be leaders of the men and you know in some cases women around them to step up and lead and i'm reminded of one colonel joshua chamberlain who was the colonel of the 20th maine a regiment that on january 2nd 1863 found themselves at the focal point of american history they were on little round top mm. which was the extreme union left flank Of the battle of gettysburg and for an entire afternoon this little regiment from the 20th maine led by one joshua chamberlain a bookish professor from Bowdoin college in maine found themselves facing an onslaught after onslaught from the 15th regiment of the alabama infantry and when they were low on men low on ammunition this bookish colonel gave the order to fix bayonets and charge back down the hill to defend the left extreme flank of the union position they repelled that charge that you know, onslaught from the 15th Alabama Regiment. And for that, we think of Colonel Joshua Chamberlain, one of our leaders of men that we acknowledge. And we're going to do this at the start of every episode, a little <laughs> historical reference. Try, try to make the people a little bit smarter, do something a little bit to think about, um, you know, as we start talking about quarter
0: so is that what the eagles need to do because right now they're extremely
2: michael (laughs) the eagles need to fix bayonets and do everything they can to charge back down the hill against drew Brees, which is going to be a tall task because drew Brees has shown the ability to repel many an attack in this 2018 nfl
0: season absolutely correct and yeah that's going to be the topic of the show today uh this series is dedicated to talking about the enemy quarterbacks facing the philadelphia eagles we're going to do this every week to preview these quarterbacks find out where they win uh where they may struggle. Well, what they're really good at uh, with Drew Brees, there's a lot to talk about when it comes to that. So the Philadelphia Eagles enter a, a game that they're fighting for their playoff lives, they're on the road against New Orleans, against Drew Brees, who is playing absolutely lights out, leading the league's highest scoring offense. You know, the, the Chiefs get a lot of credit for their offense, but the Saints are and the Rams too, but the Saints are right up there with them. And Mark, let's just dive right into it, man. Last year, first quarter of the season a lot of people thought that drew breeze was cooked and if i remember correctly and please tell me if i'm wrong on this but sean payton responded by reigning in the offense becoming a more quick strike type style and it led to an insane season for breeze and let me really put that into context how crazy it was for breeze from a historical perspective I went to Player Season Finder on Pro Football Resource, which is a great tool, along with their other awesome tools like Gameplay Finder I use literally daily. Anyway, here's what I did. I searched for single seasons and filtered it to the following. Plus 70% completion rate, plus 7.5 yards per attempt, plus 100 quarterback rating with plus 300 passing attempts. All very round and desirable numbers for quarterback play. So uh, there have only been five seasons where a quarterback has met all of that criteria. There's Joe Montana in 1989. There's Steve Young in 1994. And then there's Drew Brees in 2009, 2011, 2017. He's also on pace for it this year. There's a bigger topic at play here. Why isn't Drew Brees included in the discussion with Tom Brady and Aaron Rodgers as much as he should be? But dialing back to the point about last season and him being possibly cooked, Mark, what happened there from your perspective that turned things around for him?
2: I think you could point to Alvin Kamara at the start. And (laughs) what Alvin Kamara has given them is that sort of matchup player that – In a matchup league, you can point to on any given play and you can design something to get him an advantageous matchup in the short area of the field that gives the the Saints a chance to still be explosive in the passing game. You don't have to go too far into this season to see an example of that. You just have to go to week one. You just go to New Orleans. They're open and drive week one because they get a situation where they get Alvin Kamara matched up one-on-one against Levante David on an option route. And it turns a three yard pass into I think a twenty eight yard game in the blink of an eye, and that's been the ability of this New Orleans offense as they've sort of morphed you know over the past year and a half or so from you know Peyton being more of a downfield type offense into this more quick strike offense and the other thing that's incredibly difficult when you're talking about trying to defend this team is you look at time to throw over at NFL's next gen stats. Drew Brees, 2.57 seconds from snap to throw. That's what he's averaging this year. It's fastest in the league right now. You can't get home against them. It is so hard to get home against this team. And you look at some of the route concepts that they're running now, it's it's not wildly creative. They're running Ohio, which is, you know, go flat. They're running Mesh. They're running Tosser. They're running wide cross It's a mix of mm. West Coast and Air Raid-type staples. But they're still able to be explosive because of – Kamara getting those matchups, the ability of Michael Thomas to win those one-on-one matchups. Drew Brees is getting the ball out of his hands so quickly. And what's been fascinating about Brees this year is that he has sort of worked himself, or I think it's well overdue that he's working himself into that conversation with Brees and Rodgers and Brady that – these are the elite guys. He's in that tier, and he's putting up the same type of numbers. He has the same adjusted net yards per attempt as Patrick Mahomes, who everybody is raving about. And so, I think it's time to sort of take a look again at Drew Brees and, you know, really appreciate what he's doing, how they've reinvented this offense, and how explosive it is, despite the fact that they're, you know, they're attacking in the short areas of the field for the most part.
0: Yeah, and even when they do go deep, and you go through the analytics on Brees this year, you see a guy that's been very accurate on throws that travel more than 20 yards in the air, 16 for 29 and four touchdowns. And they're great at dialing up shot plays once they sniff around midfield. That 40 to 40 area is a real green light for them, as it is for a lot of aggressive offenses. But here are a couple of things uh, being as you know, being an Eagles analyst that it really concerns me about this game. And you kind of alluded to it. You talked about his time to throw, which has been a major problem for this defense all year long in regard to getting sustained pressure and converting sacks because enemy quarterbacks are getting out, getting it out so quick against them and you look at the pressure rates for this season against Breeze, and you see he's the second least pressured quarterback in the league due to not only his mental processing both pre-snap and post-snap but he's also getting some excellent offensive line play in front of him and when they do set up those long shots you're gonna see play action with max protect you're gonna see seven guys in so how do you attack Drew Breeze? how do you get to him is it possible am I asking the impossible here Mark
2: What's really interesting, and I was fascinated to watch this game a couple of weeks ago, was that game with New Orleans at Baltimore. It was the week after Baltimore was coming off the game where they set a franchise record, sacking Marcus Mariota 11 times. And I thought, look, this might be the situation where we get a chance to see Breeze finally get sustained pressure. This is a defense that's going to get after you. And the Ravens, they certainly blitzed in that game. But in that game, I think Breeze was something like, you know, I think he was like, nine of 11 or something like that. I can look these numbers up, but he was extremely effective against the blitz. And you would think, okay, well with the time to throw stats that we've seen, you know, it was probably just him getting the ball, but it wasn't. You look at some plays in that game, The blitz got home, but through a combination of athleticism and and play strength, traits we don't always associate with Drew Brees. He was able to evade the blitz. There was a two-play sequence, I think late third quarter, early fourth quarter of that game, where first they get Tony Jefferson on a safety blitz. He's got a free shot on a third down. He's got Brees wrapped up by the legs. He has the play strength to stay upright, find Michael Thomas in the flat, get the ball out. Thomas, yak, first down, conversion. Next play, they blitz him again. The blitz is picked up, but it's the pocket starts to break down. Breeze then flushes himself to the left, makes an incredible throw on the move, finds Traquan Smith along the sideline. Big throw, big catch, another first down. That's Drew Brees doing it in a different way. And so you're seeing now this quarterback, again, veteran quarterback, older quarterback, not just relying so much on get in and out quickly, but then his athleticism, his play strength, things we don't always associate with him, beating the blitz that way. And So that's this sort of – Subtle aspect to Breeze might not get appreciated enough, but even if you do get close to him, he's got that athleticism, the quick release, the ability to drop the arm angle, the play strength, to still get the ball out of his hands, and that's been amazing to watch too.
0: Then you look at the red zone. You talk about Ben, don't break. Well, there is a lot of breaking going on for defenses when they match up with the Saints. In the last uh, three games, it's something like 86 to 87% that they're converting touchdowns here. And I took a look at this for BleedingGreenNation.com, and I wrote up a lot of the concepts that they like to use and packages with Taysom Hill and all that stuff. And in the red zone, Breeze is 46 for 66 so 70% completion percentage, 16 touchdowns, zero interceptions, and among quarterbacks with at least 30 throws in the red area, he leads the NFL in quarterback rating at 117.4 with the weapons that he has. And note that Michael Thomas and Alvin Kamara are the top two red zone targets in the NFL, which is crazy and we won't even get into the wild packages that they get into with Taysom Hill but with the weapons and the coaching that Breeze has at his disposal combined with Breeze being a Hall of Fame freaking quarterback uh Mark uh, Red Zone Defense looks like a big time challenge for the Eagles heading
2: into this matchup. It's an extremely difficult challenge and it goes to, you know, some of the stuff we've already been talking about because you know, when you get down into the red zone, sometimes it's tougher in offense because the field is more compressed. Things happen quicker. You know, It's sometimes tough to sort of scheme people open. But in a sense, that almost plays to New Orleans' strength as an, as an offense because with guys like Michael Thomas, with guys like Alvin Kamara, you can win those matchups quickly at the line of scrimmage. Both of those players have that ability to sort of win quickly in their routes, whether it's beating the jam, if you're Thomas, if it's Kamara, that quick little stutter step in and then out against a linebacker that works in the red zone. And one of their favorite things to do in the red zone is sort of run that angle route. We see it from teams like New England with James White and others where you get that running back in the backfield. You can you know, get him outside on that what looks to be that slant and then come underneath on that Texas route, that angle route. They love to do that. Brees shows great sort of process speed in those moments where he can have that on the backside and know that, look, if I have to, he's going to win that one-on-one matchup if we get man coverage, or he's going to find a seam or enough of a seam against the zone underneath look, where you can go full-on bunch look to the other side, give yourself a concept, whether it's spot or something else, where if you can get something quick, great. If not, Brees has that processing speed to then work back to the left side, throw that angle route. They do that a ton. It's so effective for them, and it's so difficult to defend because especially if you come out as a defense and you see bunch look to one side, but Kamara shaded to the other side, maybe with Michael Thomas, maybe not. That's a pick your poison type of decision where (laughs) how are we going to defend that? What are we going to do in the red zone? And you might think, okay, well we go straight man coverage. Well, that plays their matchups. You might say, well, go zone. Well, good luck going to zone against Drew Brees, who's got that ability to diagnose what you're doing and get the ball out quickly. Looking
0: at this defense and, and what you can do against it, if you're Sean Payton, how are you attacking this defense? You're looking at an Eagles defense with heavy cover three, heavy cover one principles. They play more cover three cloud than usual last week against the Dallas Cowboys. So that was a little wrinkle that they threw in. You'll see them throw in that fireball blitz on third down and and medium, uh, and then the picket fence, you know, on third down and long, that's getting so much chatter right now, probably unnecessarily. But they're seriously depleted in the secondary. And despite what Schwartz says, I don't think he has full access to his playbook with these guys that are in right now. So again, what do the Saints do already uh, that you think will work against this defense? What can we expect from them?
2: I think you're going to see a bunch of concepts of the Saints run that they'll be happy to run out there you know, against this Eagles defense, particularly some of these single high cover one, cover three type beaters, you know, one thing that I look for is they like putting Kamara in the slot, running slot fade with him. You know, because that's a difficult moment for you as a defense. Do you put a linebacker out there with him? Do you put a safety out there with him? Do you take a corner and put him on Alvin Kamara, which may be your best matchup as a defense, but then you're creating a situation where you might have a bad matchup somewhere else. And so that's a difficult thing to do. But you get that slot fade look where maybe that corner on the outside has to hang on that hitch route. You get that fade while, you know, working from the slot. They love going Yankee concept. They'll work that from time to time, try to sort of high-low that safety in the middle of the field. Did you see –
0: when they ran Yankee, and then they also had the leak concept yeah. coming uh, behind it too, behind the crosser, because that's super dangerous. Yeah, me.
2: that was. I think that was that was early in the season. If I'm right, I'm looking at my notes. I think that yeah. was week one against Tampa Bay, where they go Yankee with a sort of throwback element to it as well, where you know you're changing the eye angle, angles on the defenders, you know, in such a great way. Uh, so that's a good thing they're going to do scissors or divide downfield where you've got you know a slot on the corner route outside receiver on that post that you're really trying to confuse that corner maybe you bracket him maybe the safety over rotates to help out on one you get the post route coming in front of him they'll do some like i said they'll do some air raid stuff with with wide cross where you're working that you know slot receiver sometimes tight end you know working that middle of the field so if you're spot dropping into that cover three look those underneath zones you're going to find that crossing route finding space behind them and so there's a lot of stuff that they can do you know against you know if if schwartz is forced and we heard this a lot sunday night because of the guys being banged up play more cover one cover three they'll find ways to pick you apart last concept i'll mention is sort of the ohio concept you know it's a simple go flat type concept but they'll put somebody in the slot whether it's thomas whether it's kamara run that flat route, have that vertical route on the outside to run that corner off, and now you're getting one of those guys matched up, maybe against a linebacker, maybe against a nickel corner or a safety even in the flat, get, the, get, get that guy the ball quickly in space against a player that might be a matchup advantage for the offense. And so those are the things I'd think would keep me up at night if I'm Jim Schwartz. Trying to come up with some answers for those designs, given the players you're going to have at your disposal on Sunday.
0: Yeah, great detail, there. And I found the, uh, the leak again. I found it against the Bengals last week. As soon as they got to the, like, right around the 40, they busted that bad boy out. It's on my timeline at NFL. I got a ton of stuff on the Saints out there. And speaking of a ton of stuff, Mark, as we talk, I can hear you, like, furiously flipping through notebooks and, and all this other stuff. Your process is so fascinating. To me, how much do you spend on like notebooks and pens and and is that sort of like office supplies for taking all these notes? Because your notes are like the most extensive notes that I've ever seen for for someone that does. Can I
2: just say that tax time? I give a ton of credit to. I'll give a shout out to my accountant our tax guy, Jim Cantwell, up here in the, the Silver <laughs> Spring area of Maryland. Because I come in with all these receipts from Staples, and he's like, "What did you buy for a hundred dollars at Staples?" I was like, "Well, I needed binders <laughs> for quarterbacks because when you watch." 40 quarterbacks over the summer you end up filling binder after binder i have binders filled with quarterbacks that's a nice little political reference there for our political minded friends but i have binders filled with quarterbacks that will never sniff the you know carolina coastal penal league of you know football levels and, and but i still take notes on that I, you're right i've got all my breeze notes you can hear me flipping around furiously for papers from week one through to week 10 i spend a lot of money on pens and highlighters and binders and I I need a new hobby. Oh, that's why we play video games. That's why we play video games.
0: And that's why we're not going to be sleeping very much because all the video games that are, in fact, dropping. Uh, Mark, do you think it's more likely that the onus is going to have to be on the Eagles offense to try to keep pace in a boat race?
2: I think so. And, you know, if you're an Eagles fan going into this game and – you know, this actually gives me a chance, thank you, Michael, to to plug something that I'm just putting together today for the score. Um, you look at that game against Dallas, this offense was so close on so many different drives to really sort of potentially breaking that game open. I mean, you, you sort of look at, you know, early in the game they had a, you know, wheel route out and up route with a post route on the outside from Matthews. They had a wheel route to Nelson Aguilar, they had a curl route from Ertz, so it was a three receiver concept. And Wentz just got pressured. We, Mike, you and I were talking about this play. Wentz just got pressured just enough where he had to pull that ball down yeah. and throw it to Ertz on the curl. And that was the drive where they ended up getting stopped on that fourth down. And then later in the game, near the end of the first half, they had that screen dialed up to Corey Clement that if you know that defender didn't get his hand in and wrestle that away, that mm. might have been six yeah. because that play was designed so well. They did so such a great job of moving everybody. They moved Wentz to the right as well, and they have that little throwback screen. That left sideline was nothing but green grass. And on the next play, you get that little out and up to uh, Sean Jeffrey. Wentz is again pressured. He has to slide away. He gets hit as he makes a throw. It's slightly underthrown, and it's broken up. They settle for a field goal. In the third quarter, You get them, you go bunch look to the right, you motion Jeffrey back to the left, you get that red two, cover two type look, Jalen Swift, the linebacker opens his hips to the other side, so you get Jeffrey working in the middle, there's a slight hesitation there, I think Jeffrey stops for a second, once double clutches, you're a half step away on so many plays, and again, they have to settle for a field goal, so the offense is close, and look, the Saints defense, it's not the best defense, so I'm just saying, if you're looking for like a silver lining as an Eagles fan right now going into this game, you're not going to find it when Jim Schwartz's guys are on the field. I don't think you're <laughs> going to find it then. But I think you're going to find it when once and company are on the field because I think there are plays to be made. I think the Eagles are close. Yes, it's a little Hall and Oates action, so close yet so far away. Sometimes that's the difference between winning and losing. But if they can hit on some of these plays, have these drives that don't end in three but end in six or seven, you know, PAT expected – You might be able to score enough points to win this game. And that's interesting that you phrase it
0: that way in the examples that you give because – me and Benjamin Solak, when we looked at the tape, we kind of saw some of the same things. We weren't necessarily upset with the schemes outside of, you know, maybe one or two play calls. We thought there were chances there. And the execution is what, what was lacking. And the Dallas Cowboys played a great game. And they also yeah. coached a really good game as well. They coached their butts off for the, like one of the first times in the season. I was really impressed with what they did. But, yeah, I mean, a half a step away, a half an inch. It was dialed up correctly. We just didn't get the time to do it. Or there was a miscommunication. Or one guy met a better play than the other one you have to win those individual matchups at something that you're not seeing the Eagles execute and finish on and that's why they're having a tr- having trouble finishing games so I bring up me and Benjamin Solek because after that game me and him left the recorders on. We didn't know that either of us were still recording, and we talked for about ten minutes after the game, looking forward about what this loss meant and what it means moving forward long term as far as like the draft implications. So this is kind of a so, so that was Kisten Solek show episode forty. Uh, what is next is a little ten minute chat with me and Ben after the show, a little off the cuff action. Let's call it the Kisten Solek show forty point five contained here in the QB Sco show episode number two. We're gonna kick it over to that and we'll be right back.
1: <laughs> oh my gosh,
0: dude. Oh we've never God, had to do dude, this before.
1: We have never once yeah. been the podcast of a team been in this position. of a losing team.
0: Yeah. Right? I don't know how to deal with it to
2: be honest Like
1: with we, you. like we like we've been the podcast of a team with a losing record before. The first time we ever did it was this year. Right? But even then, it didn't feel like like we are now officially like the podcast of a team where like like next week, they're playing the Saints. What do we talk about? How they could possibly win. Why does it matter? Probably doesn't. Like you know.
0: it's like I I can't imagine how Browns people do it. Like, that's everything. That's every day of the year. That's how they feel. At least like this was like over half a season. You know what I mean? Right. How do they how do they do it? How do they live? Let me tell you, I am distraught
1: how angry I'm gonna be. If they play even well against the Saints, like not even if they win, but if they play well against the Saints, which it doesn't even have to be like where
0: the where the f was right? this? It doesn't even
1: it doesn't even have to be like the defense. Like I expect the defense to get toasted, right?
0: But yeah,
1: imagine right. if the offense comes out and just moves the ball up and down on the Saints' defense, which I very much think they possibly could do. Yeah. That's just gonna this is just like, just play well, but do it for three games in a row, like like. The if like the one thing this team has been missing, like imagine if they won that Carolina game. Imagine if they won the Carolina game, won the Jacksonville game, came into this game five and three with the opportunity to tie the Redskins. Yeah, at home in Blacks against the Cowboys. I mean, come on! All this team needed was like 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 just a few wins in a row, and they couldn't string together enough good plays in a row to win a game, and then enough good games in a row to win like a series. It's just exhausting.
0: And, you know, I mean, they 100% should have beaten the Titans, 4th and 15, Corey Graham loses his bearings in his zone, 17-point comeback by the Panthers. We had a 98% win probability, 99.6 win probability, something like that. Oh, yeah. We can't pull those games off, and that puts us in this effing situation. It's it's maddening. It's maddening to think where we could be, even as a bad team, mm-hmm. compared to where we are as a bad team. It's depressing. Here's what's
1: really nice, though. I'll tell you what's really nice. This is mostly because of the Super Bowl win, but I don't think, I I have no doubt in my mind that Lurie is not in a spot where he's going to do anything rash, Howie's not in a spot where he's going to do anything rash, and Doug's not in a spot where he's going to do anything rash, you know what I mean? Like, No, yeah. Which, even if, like, let's say, God forbid, a person whose ad is camel toe in spandex was right, and let's say Doug never pulls out a super bowl winning competitive team again right i'd at least like to right. know that by keeping roughly the same important infrastructure around him for the next five seasons you know what i mean like right. i would so much rather just play this out to its end and make sure you know what i mean but we're not anywhere near there obviously this is like a way looking forward situation it's just like
0: Dog john fox could john fox got a job was An NFL coach last year hadn't done anything in freaking years. He could probably get a job next year if he really looked for one. Jeff Fisher, around forever. One Super Bowl win buys you like 20 right. years in the NFL.
1: <laughs> it's going to be very interesting. So there's I, don't, gonna be... I don't mind keeping right.
0: that dynamic for the next five years. I don't. I don't at all.
1: Think about, however, this is crazy. Think about how much attention there's going to be on how well Philadelphia drafts this season because two years ago right the Derek Barnett draft it was we got car well like three years ago it was we're getting Carson two years ago it was we got Carson like that was awesome so it was, now it's just like you know like acquire weapons you know we had there's some clear holes we're still a fledgling team then he went to the Super Bowl and it's like pff, we're in Dallas we're picking 32 screw all of you guys you know what I mean it's like nothing you know like, like think
3: right. as
1: we discussed like I was not a super big fan of the 2017 class or the 2018 right. class the way that they were done both yeah. of them you can slip by on that because other stuff was going on. This upcoming draft class is going to be very heavily scrutinized, right? Which like we love to be like, oh, the Joe Douglas effect. Well, <laughs> like
0: who? And there's a ton of picks. They have ammo. It's not like they right. they only have like f- four or five like later right. round or or whatever. They have a ton of ammo to go to go into this thing. And of course, you know, third round pick on Golden Tate. Don't look good. Uh... I don't look too great right Listen, now.
1: Listen, so here the Tate thing is here's my opinion on the Tate thing. My opinion on
0: I'm I by the way, I'm totally fine with it. I understand why they made the move. The result, if you're looking at it from a result perspective, right. I don't I don't think it's my, work out.
1: yeah, my main thing is that like you bring him in, he's obje- he's he's objectively helpful to have as a person on the field the defense are paying attention to. Bingo. That's obviously not worth a third round pick, but that's there. Number one. Number two, he comes in. You're tr- you, you obviously have an X amount of time to get him integrated. Uh, and then your first week when you have a new piece that you traded for mid season, you always f- try to feed him. You always want to justify the 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 trade by like giving him the little right. hook and ladder throw. You know what I mean? Like, oh, this makes sense. You know, whatever. He's returning punts. Whatever. Like,
0: We've made an aggressive yeah, move. We're in right, this exactly. spot. We have to. But yeah, here's my thing. Here's yeah. my
1: thing. Twenty. So the 2016 class is Carson. And then it's Sao Malo, who – Sao is – Sao is your left guard, whatever. He's starting. Is he good? Is he not? He's kind of average. Whatever. Uh, and then it's Wendell Smallwood, and it's seventh. It's Blake Countess freaking is playing for the Rams. You know, it's Jalen Mills. Right? <laughs> whatever. Okay? Yeah. But, like, it's Carson. Like, that was the focus on the class, and your third round was Sao Malo. And if you hit on both of them, then okay. Okay. Your 2017 class is Derek Barnett, who obviously we know I'm lower on Derek Barnett than the general consensus, but whatever. Then it's Sydney.
0: You know I am too, yeah. Yeah, it's Sidney. It's yeah.
1: Sydney, who has looked like a good slot corner for his time. And we have to see what he is like on the boundary, which is like a question, because he's 190 pounds. Yep. Then it's Sewell, yep. who we didn't talk about on the podcast, mm-hmm. but maybe we should have a little bit, because I'm okay with like, like, Sewell being bad doesn't super surprise me, and he wasn't great, and he wasn't really that bad as, like, people made it out to be. but whatever. Sewell's not a starter. Third-round pick, he's not a starter. Matt Collins, Danell Pumphrey, gone. Sheldon Gibson, can't get on the field. Nate Gary, injured, couldn't win the starting linebacker job. Elijah Qualls has gone. 2018, Dallas Goddard, not playing him. I don't know why. Avante uh, Maddox has been a stud. Josh Sweat, obviously, yeah. you know, he's, he played a small amount of playing time. Matt Pryor and Jordan Milana. Yeah. Like, how... Sydney Jones, the best player of that those two classes right now.
0: You would need, yeah. Sydney Jones has been for me. He's shown flashes right. of being the best player of that. Like, yeah. But the the wild card is like my of turns into something. Well, obviously, that like, would be like but, a huge but, but, win. But, but, but even still. if my of
1: turns into something, <laughs> that's a that's right. a dart throw pick. You know what I mean? That's very difficult to replicate. Right. Look at like if we expand it, it, like is. let's expand it to all right. We don't want to expand it to 2015 because obviously that's a Chip Kelly year. But in the three years of yeah. like the Douglas Roseman rain here, the Douglas Roseman era. They've hit they've hit on like rookie player. They've hit on Carson. I am not ready to call anybody else a hit in the past three years. Right. I think you have a a good chance with with Jones, with Maddox, with Goddard. Yeah. Barnett and Samalo also up there. Mac is kind of a question kind of yeah, well, mark.
0: I think Barnett is going to be a decent football player that never lives up to the building of what he is, but is still a good football player. So I'm not against ever getting a good football player no matter what.
1: When <laughs> Barnett is out there as our, as our second defensive end, right? Like not our primary rush defense band, he's picking up five to six sacks a season. And was like, oh, he's good, but he's not worth 14th overall. Like I just – to me, like – there's not been a ton of scrutiny on those past couple of classes, and that's going to make the 2019 yeah. class massive because you're looking at a team who Super Bowl, then a disappointing season, and they're going to need youth at a lot of spots, especially because Carson's about to get a big contract. So, like, right. you need to hit this I class. I was going to say
0: the cap ramifications of that, you have to be, you have to hit on the draft. You have to, you absolutely have to. And you know what? Buying, getting Carson Wentz buys you so much as far as like, these guys get the draft and like that's what's like blocking everyone from like really taking right. a close look at these classes and what they're. but it go it
1: goes back to the other point which is what's more valuable two first and, and a second and a fourth or the uh the increasing the likelihood that you're going to hit on a quarterback right it's just simply the fact that like 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 the decisions are bets you know kind of uh paradigm the fact what i would say like right. good general managing isn't picking the right players it's increasing your likelihood of picking the right players right which is why you send a third for golden tate because you know golden tate is good whereas you don't know if the third round pick is going to be good and so i'm fine with the front office being like tools or picks are tools picks are weapons i use them to acquire good players increase my likelihood of doing so But at the end of the day you need to have good rookies on good contracts so you have to be able to draft well with your top 60 picks they've got three top 60 picks this year one first two seconds you need impact players right and you That's have easy. a top 60 pick and Dallas got it right now go play him that drives me yeah. nuts man
0: in a in a situation that felt like was primed to play him prime to play him as we talked about you know a team starting
1: show. linebacker goes down and you don't force them into base you let them yeah. s- chill and nickel <laughs> yeah you don't let
0: them chill and nickel <laughs> and you want to run the football because you can't run the football. And you don't run, and you don't run twelve personnel. I think like, and you don't let Goddard get out there when they've been so good running the ball with Goddard. This there. is
1: a, this is a this is a great example, in my opinion, of like you need like new fresh minds to cir- circle in because I think they have this idea of like, all right, so like Zach Ertz is our threat to pass because it's such a big threat to pass, we have to keep him in to block sometimes so they don't know that when Ertz is on the field we're throwing it. Guess what? When Ertz is on the field on third and seven and they know you're throwing it. You still complete it all the times. Earth's really good. You don't have to hide it anymore. Right. You don't have to ask Earths to make blocks he can't make. Also,
3: you can let Goddard run routes against the ball. He's
1: very good at that. And then you'll have your <laughs> anyway. multiplicity. Ah, uh, I really like this like podcast point 0.5 where I'm less like official and I'm more just like worried and angry.
0: Yeah. Okay. If I didn't have a screaming baby, we would. Uh...
1: Oh, I'm sorry, I guess This I didn't mean to distress you
0: it was you it was your takes yeah it was your takes. i believe this so waking waking up the baby at 12 all right am i hit am God, i hitting man,
1: the man. the big red button am i hitting the square here
0: yeah we might as well i might i might release this as a 0.5 this was good. Whatever. this was a good Just like the vet podcast minutes.
1: after the analysis podcast okay well bye
0: <laughs> fly eagle fly. and we are back mark that is episode two of the qb sco show in the books how we how we feeling about this? I, I like this little chat, me and you. I learn a lot.
3: I, I
2: do like it. It's it's an enjoyable little chat. We do a little history. We do a little video games. We kind of mix it up for the people. We get into some scheme stuff. I mean, it's a nice little 20, 25 minute you know segment here where we just kind of break as much stuff as we can down for the loyal listeners to bleed in green nation, as it were. Who you <laughs> know, I got a lot of love for, in my heart for the loyal listeners over here. Everything you guys do over at PGN, you guys do great work. Yeah, I'm still a little bitter over the last Super Bowl, I will say. But listen, both of our teams right now are trying to struggle to find some identity. I mean, I'd rather be you guys right now, I think, than wondering if number 12 is done, which is the life yeah. I've had to leave over the past 72 hours. And I know that's not going to get a lot of sympathy, but I'm just saying, look, you know, football, it's a tough game. It's a game of inches. The inches we need are all around us. And Mike, (laughs) if you don't queue up the speech from any given Sunday to play us out now, I'm going to be so disappointed.
0: You know what, Mark? I'm going to honor that wish. First, I'm going to ask you to go to iTunes, Dental Listeners. Give us five stars if you like it. Leave a written review. We're going to start reading some of those reviews uh, really soon. So so punch them up, make them funny, and we'll read those here on Bleeding Green Nation. And uh, yeah, man, it is in fact a game of inches. Let's find out why from our friend Al Pacino. You know, when
3: you get old in life, things get taken from. I mean, that's that's part of life. But you only learn that when you start losing stuff. You find out life's this game of inches. So is football. Because in either game, life or football, the margin for error is so small, I mean, One half a step too late or too early, and you don't quite make it. One half second too slow, too fast, you don't quite catch it. The inches we need are everywhere around us. They're in every break of the game, every minute, every second. On this team, we fight for that inch. On this team, we tear ourselves and everyone else around us to pieces for that inch. Yeah. Yeah. We claw with our fingernails for that inch. Because we know when we add up all those inches, that's gonna make the fing difference between winning and losing. Between living and dying. I'll tell you this in any fight, it's the guy who's willing to die who's going to win that itch. And I know if I'm going to have any life anymore, it's because I'm still willing to fight and die for that itch. Because that's what living is. the six inches in front of your face. Now, I can't make you do it. You got to look at the guy next to you. Look into his eyes. Now, I think you're going to see a guy who will go that inch with you. You're gonna see a guy who will sacrifice himself for this team because he knows, when it comes down to it, you're gonna do the same for him. That's a team, gentlemen. And either we heal now as a team, or we will die as individuals. That's football, guys. (laughs) That's all it is. Now, what are you going to do?
2: Hello, you're listening to Simone de Rochefort, one of the hosts of The Polygon Show. It's a show all about the video games that you'll never have time to play, brought to you by four friends who are just as passionate about food, soft drinks, and TV shows as we are about video games. Every Friday we bring you a new hour of personal stories, like how we found the best way to play Yakuza 0, or even what happens when you play so much Zelda that you hurt your hands and can't play games anymore. Above all, we just have a really good time talking about the games that we love. Check out the show on Apple Podcasts or your favorite podcatcher. You can also find us at Polygon Show on Twitter and send a tweet to say hi. Thanks for listening.